So let's pray. Uh, and we've got a brand new series I'm excited about. We're going to go through the book of Ephesians. It's going to be uh, verse by verse, and we're going to tackle how to live in a hostile culture or context. So let's pray. Dear Jesus, we love you. God, I pray you help uh, us to know, Lord, exactly what you want us to do. God, I pray you help us to know where we can fill in and where we can help um, in this community. Lord, you know that our mission is to reach Clarksburg for Jesus Christ, God. And I pray you help us to step up in any way that you would have us to step up. Lord, we love you. I pray for this message, God, that you would give me the words to speak. God, uh, help me to avoid any words that uh, are not in your will this morning. God, we love you and thank you once again. In your name we pray. Amen. So this is going to be an eight-week study on the book of Ephesians. And this book is really, in the Bible, is really a collection of 66 books. And many of the books in the New Testament are actually letters written to churches. Another way to say that is an epistle. And this is a letter from Paul written to the church of Ephesus. Now that's a pretty awesome thing because Ephesus was not a rinky-dink town somewhere out in the middle of nowhere with one stoplight. This was a big and a bustling, impressive city. Uh, it was located in modern-day Turkey, and the people were educated. They had one of the largest libraries in the ancient world. They were well-rounded people. They had uh, a multicultural city that had people from all over the world. And they also were very religious. They had over 50 different temples to 50 different gods. They also had one of the largest temples in the ancient world. And here, obviously, this isn't like a cell phone picture. This is a, a depiction of what it might have looked like. But this is called the Temple of Artemis. And it actually was known as one of the seven wonders of the world. So this is a big and a bustling city. See, we're tempted sometimes to think that they met somewhere out in the middle of the wilderness in the desert and are all riding camels all the time and all that kind of stuff. But no, this is much more like planting a church smack dab in the middle of Pittsburgh. And uh, it also wasn't the Bible Belt. These people weren't already going to church every Sunday in their Baptist church in the community. Many of these people had only, at best, heard rumors of Jesus Christ. See, Paul writes them this letter... And you're going to see that over the course of these eight weeks, that this is a letter, how to survive as a Christian in a hostile context. And what a blessing that is for us, because we are increasingly living in a post-Christian and a hostile context to Christians today. The people around us are multi-religion. They're knowledgeable. They've got many wonders around them. They've got many distractions. And many of them have only heard rumors of Jesus. My wife and I uh, helped start a church in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. And I remember I was very sheltered uh, growing up. And I remember having kids' church, and one of the eight year old boys had never even once heard of Jesus. No idea, not even, you know, Christmas was about Santa and Easter was about the Easter bunny. Jesus was not even on his radar. And I'm sure there are thousands and thousands of people out there in our country today that either don't know who Jesus is or they have a very uh, untrue and unhonest picture of who Jesus is. So how do we live for Christ in a world like this? How do we live for Christ against the grain? 
How do we swim upstream when all the world around us, we watch uh, television and we hear the radio and we see the politicians, everything that they want to do is contrary to what we know the Bible wants us to do. There are only six chapters in the book of Ephesians. And I challenge you to not only uh, you know, be here every Sunday, but also read these chapters alone somewhere and, and really dig in and dive deep into what Ephesians is. During this uh, series, we're going to parallel a study by J.D. Greer. We're going to start in Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to start with verse 1. That's a good place to start, right? Here we go. You ready? Buck it up. You got your brain on? No? There, we got one. Amen. All right, let's dive in here. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints that are in Ephesus and faithful in Jesus Christ. Grace be to you and peace from our God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. So Paul here starts off the book. He says, look, I'm an apostle. The third word of the book of Ephesus, Ephesians, is apostle. What does it mean to be an apostle? The word apostle means someone that is sent out. And Paul told them this, that they are an apostle because, that he is an apostle because, everybody give it up for Josh the intern. <laughs> Miss Janet needs him. Yeah! Go for it. That's what happens. You're going to get called out in church, Miss Janet. <laughs> anyway, Paul here is saying, I'm an apostle. And the reason he's telling them he's an apostle is because that he wants them to know that they can trust him. An apostle means that he's someone that is sent out. That's great, right? But does that mean that I can be an apostle today? Well, there's three qualifications for an apostle. First... You have to have seen the resurrected uh, Jesus physically. You have to see the resurrected Jesus physically. Secondly, you have to be someone who has a Holy Spirit calling. And thirdly, you have to be someone that has performed signs and miracles in the name of Jesus Christ. So, the short answer is no, you can't be an apostle today. Apostles were a special group of men that God set apart 2,000 years ago to preach his words before we had the written word of the Bible. So how would you know that someone uh, that just came into town and says, I'm speaking for God, how would you know that they were sincere? Well, we had miracles and healings and speaking in tongues, and all of these things were a sign that God was speaking through that person and that you could trust him. See, these sign gifts were proof that the speaker was legitimately speaking from God. As you've probably noticed uh, in your years of living that you cannot trust every person that says he's a man of God. See, many people have done terrible things in the name of God. So these were a way that they could verify that these people that say they were from God were really from God. That's what sign gifts were. Acts is full of these sign gifts. But after that time period of the book of Acts and Paul's writing, the sign gifts began to wane. And by Philippians, Paul cannot even heal his friend Timothy. 
And also we know that Paul couldn't even heal himself of whatever that thorn in his flesh was. So Acts, Galatians, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, that's a hard one, 1 and 2 Corinthians, and Romans, all of these were written at the same time period. And once those books were written, and after that period, there is no longer an emphasis on uh, speaking in tongues and performing miracles. Why? Because uh, at, in Acts, near the end of Acts, God says that tongues would cease and all these gifts would cease. So today, though, we have the completed word of the Bible. So we no longer need to worry about whether someone that is a pastor is speaking the words of God, because if it's not contained in God's word, then it's not of God. So praise the Lord that we have God's gift of the holy word of God. So, but if signs have ceased, can God still heal people? Absolutely. Yes, he can, but he does not do it at the command of a man. It doesn't come through, Pastor Phil, don't come to me and ask me to heal you. That's not going to happen. What I will do is I will pray with you, but I want you to know as well that you can go directly to God and you can go boldly to Jesus Christ and ask him yourself, praise the Lord for that. See, the problem many times is we begin to feel that God is a genie and that we can just, he has these wishes that we can ask for, but that's simply not the case. He is the all-knowing ruler of the universe. And the Bible says his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So I said that all from the third word of the first chapter, the first verse of Ephesians. Apostle. That's where that whole just rabbit trail just came from. But I, need, I thought you might need to know, what is it, why is Paul saying that he is an apostle? Now, Paul was an apostle because he was confronted by the risen Savior on the road to Damascus. He was called by God, and he performed signs and miracles. And we can trust him because of the fact that he's an apostle. Now, James 3, uh, verse 3 in chapter 1 ends with saying this, that Jesus has blessed us with spiritual blessings. And then he goes on in verse 4 and tells us what some of those blessings are. It says, even as he, look at these words, chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. That's an amazing thing, right? God chose us. How many of y'all glad God chose you this morning? Praise the Lord for that. And he chose you not because of who you were. The Bible says he chose you before the foundation of the world. Now that means there has never been a time in history that God hadn't chose you. There's never been a time in history that God didn't love you. You were not chosen because of something that you did or because of who you are. God chose you long before that. The old preachers used to say this phrase, and you might have heard it. Has it ever occurred to you or has it ever dawned on you that nothing has ever dawned on God. See, God just didn't wake up on a particular day, the day that you were going to get saved, and say, all right, well, I guess I'll choose to love this person now. No, the Bible says he loved us before the foundation of the world. J.D. Greer gives us the example of The Voice. How many of y'all have ever seen the show The Voice? You liars. Much more than that. <laughs> we know you have a TV. You're not spiritual, more spiritual than we are. 
that show the voice. Someone sings and all the coaches, they choose the different people that they want on their team. Well, J.D. Greer says, with us, God pressed that button. He turned his chair around and said, I choose you before we ever even had the chance to sing. Now, some good people believe in a doctrine called the Reformed Doctrine, or in other words, Calvinism. And they believe words in the Bible like this that we see here, that God predestined us to be saved, or in other places it says that he elected us to be saved. Uh, Some people believe that that means that God, for reasons unknown to us, picked some people long ago that he would save and that they can't avoid it, and they can't do anything about it, that they're going to get saved. And they also believe that long ago, God chose people that would not get saved, and they can't avoid that either. Now, I don't ascribe to this doctrine because of verses like John 3, 16 that says, for God so loved the world, right? It also says that God is not willing that any should perish. And if God was not willing that any should perish, why would he create people to perish and just immediately go to hell without anything that they could do about it? See, it's God's desire that each and every one of us would be saved. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. Now, you might also remember uh, the uh, rich young ruler who came to Jesus, and he, he wanted to know how he could be saved. He wanted to know what he could do. And Jesus told him, follow me. Leave all your stuff behind. Leave all your riches behind and follow me. But the rich young ruler said, no, I reject you. We see a place here in God's word where Jesus said, follow me, and someone said, no. Now, I believe God gave us a free will, and he does not violate that will, and that God's will is uh, that we all accept him. So in reality, God chose all of us, right? Praise the Lord for that. Now, it's our responsibility whether we want to accept or reject him. Now, just because that God chose all of us, that, does that make it any less special? Oh, you mean they got in too? Wow, man, I don't even know if I want a piece of this anymore. If they can get in, geez. No. Hey, you're not going to hell. Praise the Lord for that, right? If you've accepted Jesus Christ and you're not going to hell, and praise the Lord, that's an awesome thing. See, God didn't choose us because we were lovely. We choose him, and then he begins the process to making us lovely. And although he didn't choose us because of who we are, he does want to change who we are. See, God didn't save you to leave you the way that you were when he saved you. The Bible says here that uh, he wants to set us apart. He wants us to be holy, different than the world. It says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. He wants to change us. That's an awesome thing. The first thing we see from these first several verses in Ephesians is that he chose us. Verse 5 says that we are not only chosen, but we are adopted. We are adopted into God's family. That's awesome. Why? Because we weren't born into it. We were actually born into the family of sin and death. But now if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then you are a part of God's family. You're adopted, just as if you were born into it from the start. You all share the benefits of a child of God. You're in. You get to take part in the inheritance. There's an old song that says, he loves me like I was his only child. 
I know someone that frequently says, I'm God's favorite. And I believe that that's true of all of us. Why? Because the Bible says God is love. And he loves with a perfect love. And you can leave today believing that God loves me as if I was his only child. Look to the person next to you and say, I'm God's favorite. It's not proud. It's not about you. It's about him. That's an awesome thing. Verse 6 says, it goes on to say, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us with. Another version there, instead of blessed, says, accepted us in the beloved. That means that we are accepted. What does this word beloved mean? It means darling, dearest, precious, much loved, cherished, treasured, prized. Hey, you mean something to God. I don't get it either, but you have value to God. I don't understand why he loves me. It doesn't make any sense. You know why I don't understand it? Because I know me. I'm not that good. In fact, I'm bad. But God loves us. He chose us. He adopted us. And he accepted us into the beloved. His treasures. His prized possessions. I don't know if uh, you're someone, if this wasn't so much of me, my grades weren't that great. But I've heard of this thing where you get real excited when you get acceptance letters from colleges. I mean, I got in, but it was a Delaware County Community College. D-C-C-C-C-C-C. <laughs> that was the first college that I went to. But I've heard of this thing where you get excited where your acceptance letters come in and you're like, oh yeah, I got in. But praise the Lord, this letter in Ephesians is the best acceptance letter we could ever get. He chose us. We're adopted. We're accepted into the beloved. Verse 7 goes on. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses. Because of what we've done? No, according to the riches of his grace, which he, he has lavished upon us. Isn't that awesome? Tori's parents are coming up tomorrow, and they lavish their love on my kids. It's embarrassing. They're just, they've only got two grandkids, and they pour it all into just those two kids. And they spoil them rotten. Well, this here says that God has this abundance of riches of grace, and he wants to lavish us with them in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. According to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. This is an awesome verse. So not only are we chosen, adopted into his family, accepted into his love, but he also has a purpose and a will for our life, and he wants us to know it. People talk about the will of God many times as if it's a secret uh, thing with a, like a treasure map, and, and like you have to figure out, like, oh, I need to know what God's will is. God's will is found in God's word. If you want to know what God's will is for your life, you need to get into God's word. Now, many times he'll move in impressions on our heart and tell us, okay, you need to go here. You don't need to go there. But it's not this mysterious thing. Do what God says for you to do in his word and then rely on him. Many people sit around and wait to know what God's will is. But that's not what God tells us to do. He tells us to go. He tells us to grow. And he tells us to get out there and to begin to serve and do. He wants, us, he wants to make known to you the mystery of his will for your life according to his purpose. 
Now, that's the thing. You can't be like, all right, God, let me know what you want me to do with my life, and then I'll decide uh, if I want to do it or not. That's not how it works. You surrender, and then he moves in your life. See, he has a purpose for your life. It has meaning, and that meaning is found in him. The first purpose that God has for your life is that you would accept him and believe on him and have a real relationship with him. But see, that's not where it ends. See, the moment of your salvation is not the finale. It's just the start. There's the pressing on. And we work and we, and we fight with endurance. The Bible says not as someone that boxes the air. But we have endurance. Because the end is that moment that we enter the gates of heaven. So you are chosen, you're adopted, you're accepted. God chose you before all the sins that you had ever done, and he's not going to give up on you now. The only sin that ever could disqualify you from God is the sin of rejecting him. So you can have hope. No matter what you've done, no matter who your parents were, no matter what side of the track you were born on, no matter what kind of background you have, no matter what kind of lack of talent you may have, although it may not look like it right now, God has chosen you for big things. Now it's your turn to choose whether or not you want to seek God's will. Seek that relationship with him. See, God wants what's best for you, and what's best for you is found in him and in his will. Is it amazing to know that you can do what you were made for? And what you were made for is found in that relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I know what it's like. You're saying right now, many of you in the room say, Pastor Phil, it doesn't seem much like God has a plan for my life right now. Things are really messy. I've got some hurt. I've got some pain in my life that I can't get over. I've got some sin in my life that's standing in my way and it's holding me down. Repent, get it right, run to Jesus, come home, have hope, because you are chosen, adopted, and accepted. See, God wants to turn your mess into a masterpiece. In these castles, if you've ever uh, seen a documentary or maybe you've even got to go to one, you see these tapestries that hang on the wall. Maybe it's a majestic deer or maybe it's a heroic battle scene. On the front, these things look beautiful. And they're all intricate and detailed. But if you were to turn that tapestry over, it would be a mess of chaos and thread. And some of you today, that's what your life feels like. I just don't, I'm confused. I don't understand why I'm going through what I'm going through right now. But one day, God is going to turn over that tapestry. And you're going to see why he did everything that he did. And he's going to turn your mess into a masterpiece. The Bible here is telling us in Ephesians how we can have hope in a hostile culture. Well, the first thing you need to know is you need to know who you are. You're the chosen one. God chose you. If you're here and you're saved and a follower of Jesus Christ, then you are adopted. You're accepted. And God has a plan for your life. So stop moping around, quit being depressed, stop playing the victim and start having the victory. You're not persecuted, you are precious in his sight. And if God is for us, then who can be against us? See, in love he predestined us 
for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. You are chosen. You are adopted. And you are accepted. Live like it. Let's all stand to our feet and bow our heads. The worship team's going to come. No one's looking around. This is a personal time between you and your God. We learned here this morning that God chose us. But who have you chosen? Have you chosen to live for yourself? Have you chosen to live for the pleasure of others? Have you chosen to live for the things of this world? The ball is in your court. God is here today calling out to you. Come home. Come to me. Why? Because you're chosen. You're adopted. You're accepted into the blood. His treasures, uh, treasured possessions. And God has a perfect will for your life. As the music plays this morning, the altar's open. This isn't a magic place to come and have miracles done or anything like that. This is a place of surrender where you say, I don't care about what anybody else thinks. I don't care if they think I'm, you know, the worst person in the world because I would bow before my God and say, I choose him. And once again, it's not a place to come just because you want to look good either. It's just a place of surrender. With every head's bowed, every eye's closed. You're asking God, God, what do you want me to do today? God, what action do you want me to take? God, where do I need to apply these principles to my life? Maybe you're here this morning. And you say, Pastor Phil, you talked a lot about being someone that's accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. We also talked about someone that would reject Christ. See, Jesus Christ is a real and a, little, a literal person. He walked this earth 33 years ago, or 2,000 years ago. He worked, walked it for 33 years. He lived a perfect and a holy life. And he lived his life as an example of what we should do. And he laid down his life on the cross. See, he was literally God with us. That's what the word Emmanuel means. He was God in the flesh. 100% God, 100% man. And he laid down his life on the cross. Why? Because the Bible says that we have sinned, all of us. We've thought wicked thoughts, we've said wicked things, we've held grudges against people. And the Bible says because of our sin that we deserve hell. It says the wages of our sin is death. And that death is more than just a physical death. It's a spiritual death, a separation from God. Let's see Romans 5.8 tells us why Jesus died on the cross. It says that God commended his love. See, Jesus is the picture of love. He commended his love towards us. Even though we were sinners, Christ died for us. He took your place. He took your punishment. 
The Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You've got to be able to go back to a time and a place. Not just a year where you just started to live well or, or the time that you just started going to church or, or maybe even something your parents told you you did well before you could remember. There has to be a moment in your life where you choose God. Say, God, I'm not relying on my works, not relying on anything that I have done, but I'm putting my faith and trust in you and only you as my only means to salvation. If that's you today, you can call out to God right now. It's not a magic prayer. It's not a pledge of allegiance. It's a posture of your heart. You could call out to God with something like this. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know because of my sin that I deserve hell. Please forgive me. I'm turning from my sin and I'm turning to you. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. If you made that choice today, not just pray to prayer, but you really made a choice to choose God. You called out to God like we just talked about. You're not ashamed of what you just did or not playing games with God, not looking for anything out of God except for forgiveness. If you just slip your hand up right now, I just want to pray for you this morning. You say, that's me, Pastor Phil. I made that choice today. I see that hand. Anyone else? I want to pray for you. I see that hand as well. see that hand. You say, that's me, Pastor Phil. I'm not playing games, not messing around. You slip your hand up. I just want to pray for you this morning. I also want to ask you later on in the service, I'm not going to come to you or or embarrass you in any way, but if you on your connection card could write the words, I chose Jesus today. Just write your information. I'm not going to call you a million times, but I do want to talk to you about what you did this morning. You could do that on your connection card before we pass the offering plate here after these few songs. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we love you. God, thank you that we are chosen. Thank you that we are adopted into your family. And thank you that we are accepted. God, your word is so awesome and wonderful and beautiful. God, help us never to get over it. God, help us to fall in love with it. God, I pray you continue to move as we sing. In your name we pray.